HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program was brought to you by Eat on North. Eat on North is a casual restaurant where honest, uncomplicated food is served without pretension. Find Eat on North at hotelonnorth.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Farm Report, where we talk about the nitty-gritty of agriculture and food production each week. I'm your host, Holly Cedarhorn, broadcasting live from the Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today, I'm excited to have two guests on the line, Ryan and Stuart Joyce of Joyce Farms. Located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Joyce Farms is a family-run operation dedicated to raising high-quality all-natural meats, including poultry, beef, and game, for chefs, artisanal butchers, and educated consumers across the U.S. Among their offerings of heritage breed poultry is what they deem the world's best chicken. Joining me today are two representatives from Joyce Farms, brothers and the third generation of the Joyce family to be involved in the company, Ryan and Stuart Joyce. Ryan oversees the finance, human resources, and legal matters, while Stuart oversees operations. Ryan and Stuart, welcome to the Farm Report. Thank you for having us. Um, maybe you guys could, I don't know if we'll be able to differentiate voices, but maybe you could each introduce yourself so we can get a, a handle on that. Okay, this is Ryan. Hey, and this is Stuart. Great. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, so as I said, Brian and Stuart, you're the third generation on the farm. Did um, you grow up in the business, and was it a natural transition to return to the farm after pursuing your degrees? Mostly I'm interested in how you both found your niche on the farm. Um, Ryan, for instance, I don't personally know many farms that have a lawyer on staff, so I, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you guys fit into the, the landscape there. Sure. Um that's definitely true. Not uh, many small producers have lawyers on staff, but uh, I guess both of us got, got started in the business when we were just kids. I mean, I remember, you know, building chicken houses uh, throughout high school and college. Uh, our father has a strong work ethic, and he wanted to make sure that was instilled in us. So we got, you know, probably the worst jobs you can imagine <laughs> in the middle of August in North Carolina on a farm in a chicken house. It's not the most pleasant environment. 
Um, but we enjoyed it and, you know, saved up some money to buy a car when we turned 16 and uh, saved up some money to, you know, continue our education. And that's really how we got started uh, in the business. And then both of us went to NC State for undergrad. And there's a strong connection at uh, North Carolina State with uh, the agricultural industry. So that, um, you know, definitely played an influence in in our roles here. And uh, I actually went to work for the company again after undergraduate, or, yeah, once I graduated from NC State for about two years. And then I went back to to the JD MBA program at Wake Forest. And uh, I knew pretty much from the beginning that I wanted to stay in business. And uh, the law degree is more to keep us out of court and away from attorneys. So uh, not so much to be an attorney, but just to uh, you know, help the business from a legal perspective because we're regulated by the USDA and you know, every business has contract issues, employment law issues. And, uh, I found it to be extremely helpful just on a day-to-day basis, even though I'm not actively practicing law. Yeah. How many, um, how many employees does Joyce Farms employ? Uh, total, including uh, some of our temporary uh, staff, we've got about 120. Yeah. Um, so there probably, there is, like you said, um, while that might not be a necessary role for smaller operations, you do probably have a lot more um, technical documents and that sort of thing that you're dealing with. Um, uh, so, Stuart, what, as the operations manager, what kind of um, day-to-day function do you have within the, the company? Nothing. Every, everything runs smoothly. <laughs> so, um, from from the farm side all the way from sourcing the genetics from France twice a year, we actually import our own uh, Labelle Rouge French breed of chickens twice a year. Those are hatched in the United States. They're moved to our bullet farm. Um, at about 21, 22 weeks, those birds are moved to our breeder farm where we actually collect the eggs, bring the eggs to our hatchery, set the eggs, and then hatch the chicks. They go to the grow-out farms, and from the grow-out farms, they go to the processing. So there are a lot of steps that are involved with it. I'm oversee all the farm operations for our chickens, the pheasants that we raise, the guinea hens, um, the seasonal heritage black turkeys we do, and um, as well as the plant operations here at our facility. So in terms of um, a couple of things in terms of the sense of scale, so these different facilities, are they all like adjacent on the same land like how does that map out and then also maybe we could get a sense of the number of the birds like um, a head count in the turkeys and the chickens and that sort of thing of course um, our main processing or facility here in winston-salem uh, we do our harvest here we have actually our hatchery here as well uh, we contract out our farms or grow out farms and the breeder operations with growers who Several years ago, raised for larger companies. Um, they were eventually let go because their houses were outdated. And we were able to use their older houses that have natural ventilation, drop curtains, um, and that kind of thing. And it's really worked out well for us. We follow the LaBelle Rouge program of France, and there's certain strict guidelines we have to follow. And one of those is the distance between the farms and the processing facility. Our farms are right around 50 to 60 miles away. So driving, it's 45, 45 minutes to an hour, no more. So the birds are not in transit long. Um, we can control everyday as, you know, aspects of it. 
um, travel down if there are any issues. And so we have day-to-day control of the operation. Um, and again, so how many, um, what are, how many animals do you have um, sort of in, I'm sure they're broken down into different groups, like you have um, your pullets and then you have birds of, that are approaching harvest right. weight. So like, but what, then sort of to kind of paint a picture of what, how many birds there are. Um, the, the flocks vary from week to week. Uh, we set a certain number for our sales. For example, the, the heritage black turkeys, the Spanish black turkeys we do once a year. Uh, we're actually increasing that production, although it seems large to us. Uh, it's very not. It's a small part, but we're doing around 4,000 of those a year, mm-hmm. and the chickens vary each week. So it's a very, compared to the larger companies, we're very small, um, but it's, it's a great opportunity for us to, to get into a niche market. Yeah. Um, and in particular, since you already brought it up, I'd like to get a little bit more into the, um, the unique genetics that you have on Joyce Farm. So you're dedicated to raising heritage livestock and you've garnered notice for one breed in particular, um, which is through this, it's a French farm chicken, which my French is, is non-existent. So I'm going to stumble over this, but the Poulet Rouge Formier, um, it's a type it's a type of program, like a, like you said, it's sort of like a certification with requirements um, that chickens be raised in this style. And then you have a particular breed that you guys grow, in my understanding, the Red Bro Co-New, um, which um, from looking at the picture, it's a very distinct than what people might think of when they see a chicken. It has red feathers, and the biggest distinction is it has this naked neck. It looks like all the feathers have been kind of plucked around. It's like it's wearing like a skin necklace almost. Um, so what, like, how did you guys in North Carolina get to be the only farm in the U.S. that's raising this bird? Um, uh, there's there's other farms that are trying to do something similar to us, but they they always take a, you know the, a different approach. We actually use the specific genetics for the best tasting chicken in the world. People in America often will crossbreed between you know different breeders and get come up with something that's cheaper to produce and doesn't have the same culinary aspects of what we have. Um, but it really all started through the La Belle Rouge program, and that was a program that the French government uh, created to basically preserve the heritage breeds and the uh, artisan old-world farming methods, and there's certain requirements that are involved in that program, you know, how many houses or chickens per house, uh, how the distance between the your farms and the, the processing facilities, uh, you know, everything has to be air-chilled and uh, several other requirements. And we, we took that concept and brought it here. And one of the main requirements in the Belarus program is to have certain heritage genetics. So uh, our father actually went to France and asked one of uh, a company there that, that maintains the old heritage heirloom chicken uh, genetics for the best you know culinary bird in the world. And they came out with the Poulet Rouge, and that bird is an extremely rustic breed that hasn't been grown in over 100 years, and, you know, we're the first people, first company to to really mass produce, not mass, but produce it here on a somewhat 
commercial scale. That production is still small, smaller than we'd like it to be. Yeah, because it seems um, well. It seems like some of these um, the requirements for the label rouge program, which I would love to get into more detail on those. Um, seem like they make sense in terms of a small-scale operation where you're like, we want a smaller distance to travel between where they're raised and where they're slaughtered, and we want facilities that are, um, I don't know exactly the requirements of the facilities, so maybe you could outline those for me, but I'm assuming there are more space and ventilation and those type of things. So it's scaling that up. Is that challenging? So maybe you could talk a little bit about um, the specific sort of... um, ways that they're raised on your farm? Sure. Um, you know, it's definitely more challenging because the genetics specifically, our bird takes 84 days to get to market weight. And the feed conversion is, is through the roof compared to a commercial bird. So if you buy a, a commercial bird that's fed organic feed, it still, you know, hatches in an egg and goes to market in 42 days. Our bird takes, and you know, almost no feed conversion. You get a, it's a highly efficient bird still. Our bird takes over, what is it, five pounds of feed? And my, uh, our feed conversion is over three pounds to one pound of live weight, and it takes twice as long. It takes uh, just over 84 days to produce, after dress weight, a three pound dress bird. And, and the feed that so you're talking about, oh, I just wanted to clarify the feed that you're talking about. Is this a grain based feed or? Yes, it's a, it's a corn and soy, um, no animal byproducts, all vegetarian uh, diet. And, and back to the houses, as far as you know, sourcing the houses we need, like I mentioned earlier, it's really worked out well for us. Um, there are some larger poultry companies around this area that either went out of business or were bought out or moved um, or just cut, cut these farmers off. And we actually, uh, I get calls all the time. Unfortunately, we don't have a production now to bring them on, but we do have growers that want to raise our chickens because it is easier for them. Um, there's there's more space in the house, fewer birds. It's old, simple ways. Uh, there's not computers, uh, fans, ventilation issues. So it really is a simpler way of farming. It's going back to, to the old ways. And um, so are there other... Um like out, like in terms of access to outdoors, is that different than what um, some of the conventional commercial poultry operations are doing? Yes. Yeah, one one thing that differs with the Labelle Roost program, I'm sure everyone's heard of the organic USDA organic standards in the United States. Yeah. We decided not to be USDA organic, and there's several reasons. Uh, we found the Labelle Roost program, which we follow with the Poulet Rouge and our other game birds, to be much more superior. Uh, our Poulet Rouge are Whole Foods of the GAPS Global Animal Partnership Step 4. They are passion-centered. They are certified by a third-party audit company. Um, our birds spend the majority of their time outside. We have access points. And the difference between what we do um, with the LaBelle Rouge standards and against the organic standards, organic is just they, the, those birds have to have access to the outside. There's yeah. no defined area outside. Um, it could be a four-by-four four square for 12,000 chickens, and as long as they have access to the outside, they're considered organic birds. Um, we offer several acres of pasture, bird flock. Um, and how big are the flocks? We, 
we usually run between three and 4,000 per flock. Mm-hmm. So you were saying, the, so they have, each flock has several acres of pasture, and are they, like, rotated on them, or do they have free access? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's there. It's just an open pasture. It's fenced in. Uh, we also provide hay bales outside so they can jump on them. They tend to like those. They scratch on them. We scatter whole grain to encourage foraging. And we also have blinds and perches that they can sit on uh, and perch naturally outside in, in the pastures. Yeah, they sound like really happy birds. They are. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there other, so um, in terms of um, other differences between the heritage birds and the commercial birds, in terms of some of the commercial breeds of boiler, broiler birds, they basically, they just like look like meat on legs as they're developing. I mean, you've said that their development is like half the day to maturity as the birds that you're dealing with. They get, I've raised them in like chicken tractors before. And as you're like moving them, as they get older, they like don't even really walk that much. They're just like drumsticks. And um, so I don't know if you've noticed any difference between um, kind of the shape of the bird, the activity of the bird, or the, the maybe even like the fat to meat ratio. Like what are some of the other distinctions that there might well, be? The biggest thing with the Poulet Rouge, because it is a slow-growing heritage breed, it takes longer, longer to grow to, uh, say, a three or four pound dress weight. Um, one of the biggest things is the density inside the house. Is our birds are given a little over three square feet per bird. The organic requirement is one square feet uh, foot per bird inside the houses. Um, as you'll know too, those the, the feeds are different on on that type of bird and ours. We actually slow down the growth of our birds and reduce the energy and the fat content in our in our diets because we don't want to push the birds. They have elongated legs, uh, breasts, and their, their whole meat structure is different. Yeah. One of the most uh, noticeable things, when you look at our bird compared to a commercial bird, you'll notice ours doesn't have the fat layer underneath the skin. And one of the reasons is on the commercial bird, they're grown so fast and have such a high-energy diet that the fat doesn't have time to marvel into the meat, whereas with our Poulet Rouge, it's actually in the meat which gives it a great flavor. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I, when you were saying that they've been vetted as the world's best-tasting chicken, first I want to know who has that job of tasting all of the different chickens and determining that standard. But then it, I was curious as to how that broke down literally in the animal, and it seems like that would definitely be one of the reasons. Is there? So you said that the the composition is different too. Do you see that play out in terms of like, smaller breasts or like larger legs or like what are there differences in that regard yes there's the breasts are smaller compared to a commercial white feathered chicken in the united states um it does have a longer leg longer leg the commercial white feathered birds have little short stocky legs and a lot of breast meat and that's been bred over the years because americans the majority of them want the most amount of breast meat they can get for the cheapest price um not a lot of people like dark meat in this country and with the Poulet Rouge, we have uh, more dark meat and a little less breast meat, but it's not as much focused on the breast as uh, as the commercial birds. Um, um, there's something interesting on the nationalchickencouncil.org website that talks about, it's a chart, basically. It shows uh, the performance of U.S. broilers. And in 1925, a chicken took 112, this is a commercial chicken, took yeah. 112 days to get the market weight, which is two and a half pounds. 
okay. live weight. And one pound of meat was produced for every 4.7 pounds of feed. And in 2014, you brought it, they brought it down from 112 days to market weight to 47 days. And now the birds, instead of two and a half pounds, are weighing over six pounds. And it only takes 1.89 pounds of feed to put on one pound of meat on the bird. Yeah. So, I mean, the industry's really done an incredible job to make, you know, the bird grow efficiently and, and, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, but that definitely has had an impact on the flavor. And back to the flavor, you're asking if, you know, who's got the job of, of figuring out the best tasting chicken. Yeah. There's actually in the Bell Rouge program, each product that's given that certification is uh, basically put to the test every year. And you can have it one year and lose it the next, but... There's a blind taste test that's conducted every year, and, uh, you know, you've got to keep up with the flavor just like, you know, there's no work not changing anything, I guess. It's the way Mother Nature intended chicken to taste. Uh, but the, the genetics that we use is hands down every year in the Lodellary's program, and they've won, it's won several awards over there for um, taste and quality. And just to clarify, like within the La Belle Rouge program, you're growing, like, are there different breeds of chickens? I'm a little confused with the, like the terminology. So you, I was reading on your website, you have this red bro, quo, new, again, my, yeah, my French, not very good. (laughs) But um, so is that, are there different birds and you've just found that this is the one that works for your system or how, how have you? That's right. Okay. Yeah, there's actually, you know, Americans aren't, they don't really understand that there are different breeds of chicken. People understand the difference between tuna and salmon. But when it comes to chicken, you can buy an organic chicken, and that's, you know, you can pay a huge premium for it. And it's the exact same genetic bird that you buy at a drive-thru, you know, that comes in a bucket. It's just said something different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, if you walk into any butcher shop in, in Europe, uh, pretty much all, definitely in France, you'll see game, you'll see rabbits, you'll see, you know, 10 different breeds of chickens. Uh, most of the time, they actually leave the head and feet on and some of the feathers as well, just so you can, that way you know it's authentic. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a short break right now. And when we return, I'd like to get a little more into the different labels involved in meat production. So we'll be okay. right back. Hi, I'm Brian Alberg, and I'm the executive chef at Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts is a casual restaurant where good, honest, uncomplicated food is served to our guests. Our restaurant is part of the hotel called Hotel on North, the newly opened boutique hotel in downtown Pittsfield. We source local ingredients from our neighboring farms and offer an all-day dining menu of flavorful American cuisine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and on weekends we serve brunch. Our oyster bar serves up delicious shellfish and oyster samplers until 11 p.m. Check out our menu at eatonnorth.com and follow us on Instagram. You're tuned into the Farm Report. 
Joining us today are brothers Ryan and Stuart Joyce of Joyce Farms in North Carolina. We've been discussing the genetics of some of their poultry on their farm, um, and I'd like to continue in the vein of some of the labels that they use on the farm. So we talked a little bit about um, the fact that you guys aren't certified organic um, and that you follow a... um, France's Labelle Rouge program, which you find to be superior based on different criteria. But I just wanted to back up a minute and talk a little bit about there's so many labels that are at the grocery store. I mean, there's the organic, there's all natural, and then there's ones that are specific to livestock like pastured and free range, which we've talked a little bit about that. But so these labels flag different environmental conditions like outdoor access and types of feed for customers um, who aren't able to actually have that conversation with their farmer. But I noticed in digging around a little bit on the Joyce Farms website that you guys have quite a few different ways that you describe your meat. And we, we haven't talked at all about um, the fact that you also sell beef. But so um, I was wondering, like in looking at the beef, it's you, you use for the beef and the poultry, you have this category where you call it naked and then um, kind of delineate that it's. Um, free range and grass fed in terms of the beef. Um, there's no hormones, there's no antibiotics. So I was wondering if you could just break down um, the labels that you've chosen and what they actually mean. Yes, um, well, to start with the, the free range, that term used to mean something, I'd say. Um, you know, everybody wanted a free range chicken. Well, that term is thrown around loosely. We are now using the phrase pastured centered. Um, there's no requirement with free range. Um, they can, like I said, there, it could be a four by four square or free range access. That doesn't actually define how much space is outside. Um, and with the naked terminology with the beef and our poultry, it just means nothing has been added. Of course, no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, um, and it's just a clean product. But with the comparing it to the organic, there's some other issues. Um, that we saw with the organic program. If you will look on the, the requirements of organic, antibiotics cannot be administered within 24 hours, uh, or excuse me, after the first 24 hours. So that means if the chicken is hatched at the hatchery, they could actually receive an antibiotic vaccine in the first 24 hours and still be labeled organic. We never use um, antibiotics. We haven't had to use antibiotics because of the breed. It's so robust and, and hardy and healthy. And so that's just a few things with with the public and uh, all of the marketing claims you said you see in the store. There's so many different words being thrown out, but you really have to study and understand what exactly Sterner means and what's behind it. Yeah. One of the ones that I'm curious about is you uh, do you use the term natural or all natural, I think. Mm-hmm. What, what does that one mean? <laughs> That means no artificial ingredients and minimally processed, according to USDA. Okay. The good point upon that is that it really, the ultimate label confusion comes down to the agency or department approving the labels. It comes down to USDA. USDA has really created all the confusion because we can submit a label one day, and depending on who we get there, it's either approved or not, and it's, you know, a Based on luck, I guess there's really no consistency, and uh, but you know, according to them, natural means no artificial ingredients and minimally processed. Okay, and but- it's just like the, the no hormones in chickens. We used to not put that on our label because we thought it was you know misleading, 
because the federal regulations prohibit the use of hormones in chickens. And so every time that's on a poultry label, there's got to be an asterisk or some disclaimer that federal regulations actually prevent you from doing it. So all that claim really means is you raise your chickens legally. But our customers, you know, people, I guess, just don't take the time to really understand what it means. If it's not on the label, even with that disclaimer, they questioned whether ours was raised with hormones or not. So we ended up having to put it on the label. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, I mean, there's one, yeah, not being educated, but it's just, there's such, like you said, there's such an onslaught of different labels and the regulations of them might not be as clear or consistent. Um, And they change. I mean, there's different rounds. Like I know the natural label is coming. You can, there's a comment period that's open until the middle of May right now. So it's like they're revising them um, as they, as they go along. Um, One of the the labels that I hadn't seen before, besides Naked, um, I'm not familiar with that one, but this one I think goes back to the um, the Labelle Rouge program is the, maybe it doesn't, maybe I'm making this up, but the air chilling. I've never um, seen that before. So when I've, and I've grinned, I've not slaughtered a lot of birds at once. I've raised like maybe a batch of 50 broilers um, and done it with a group of friends, the slaughter process. But we, once we've, um, done the slaughter and the evisceration and the plucking um, or the plucking and then the evisceration. Um, we dunk them um, in a bucket of like ice water um, to get them down to the regulated temperature. So I wasn't familiar with this air chilling. And I was wondering if you could talk about um, the benefits of that and why you do that. Yes. The air chilling is if done correctly, like in France, uh, it can add tremendous flavor and quality to the bird. Um, what we do with the Poulet Rouge in our game birds, um, as soon as they're done plucking in their process, uh, go through evisceration, they're actually hung on racks, moved into a cooler that's about 30, 32 degrees. Um, they're hung in there and they, they dry naturally in a cold environment. Uh, we do not add any chlorinated water, uh, do a dip or anything like that. If you'll notice on a lot of chicken in a supermarket that you buy, it says may, re- may retain up to 8% water or moisture. Mm. We actually lose yield by doing air chilling. So if we spend all this time, you know, raising the bird right, selecting the genetics, um, and, and really processing them by hand, and we just want to keep that, uh, the, the special techniques going through the entire process and adding as much flavor and culinary quality as we can, and that's where we ended up with the air chill. Um, a lot of other companies do, offer, do promote and offer air chill, um, but most of the time, those birds are actually dipped into a chlorinated bath in between. So they do have some uh, faster chilling effects with the, the ice water and, and chlorine. But we are actually 100% air chilled. The birds go straight from um, out of the, the harvest room, and they're put on the racks and go straight to the cooler until they're down to temperature and then, and then go to pack out. Um, and so do you think the, how, like the flavor is beca- because it's losing some of that water weight and it's more concentrated or like you said, it improved, with, it improved, yeah, it improves the flavor with the air chilling you were saying. Right. Because we're not adding any additional water or moisture or chlorinated water uh, yeah. to help bring the birds down to temperature. Yeah, those birds, I mean, if you water fill a bird, it can pick up up to like 6% of retained chlorinated water into the uh, meat. Okay. And, you know, letting our birds relax, I guess, fly out kind of after being processed and 
they're air chilled, it, it does preserve a lot more of the flavor, the natural flavor that's in the bird. And you're doing so. Um, you're doing the, all of this really great work um, with flavor, um, with genetic, and rearing the bird towards flavor. And so, who who is the end? Who is the target customer? And how are you marketing the products on your farm? And I guess how has that historically evolved over the farm? Because, like we said before, you're the third generation. So I'm interested how this all developed. We uh, first question. We market mainly to uh, high-end white tablecloth restaurants, the top-tier chefs. We do very little in uh, retail. That's just always been. We've tried several times, but it's been an extremely hard and difficult market for us to to really gain any traction in. Um, and again, I think it you know comes back to consumers deciding with their pocketbook every time they shop at the grocery store and you know being educated doing the research on your own to figure out what you're you're eating. But most of the time that there's you know chicken breasts on sale for two ninety nine a week or two ninety nine a pound that week, they're they're gonna purchase that instead of buying a heritage chicken even though they don't know what they're missing out on. What's the what's the price point if you were to compare um, per pound for some of the chicken that you're offering? Uh, we are we're comparable with or to organic prices, depending on where you are, uh, maybe even a little less. Yeah. So that's where we see the great value. Um, you know, organic fetch is a premium at the grocery store, but what exactly are you getting? Um, and when you look at everything that we do with our products on a small scale, there's a great value there. But it's comparable or less than organic products. Um, so when you're selling mostly to chefs, how um, have you established particular relationships with restaurants and you're kind of just channeling your orders into that? Or do you pick up regular clientele through your website? Like what is the, um, how do you reach your customers? We, we actually uh, sell to upper scale food distributors. Center of the plate distributors. Center of the plate who know where our products can fit in, uh, which is, like Ryan mentioned, the white tablecloth restaurant, the high-end resorts, casinos, um, the people who actually appreciate the product. The website is a small portion of our of our business, but it's an, it's an option for people who want to buy our products. Um, we might not have a grocery store around, like I mentioned. Uh, we do sell to Whole Foods in the southeast region. Um, the people all over the country, we ship orders every week to California, to Texas, uh, across the United States. And it's giving us an option uh, to to provide retail items to the entire United States. And outside of the the turkeys, which you mentioned, you kind of do um, as a more specialty process. Are do all the other are all of your other offers year round? Like um, you're saying, you're slaughtering each week. So what does that look like? I'm sorry. We, I think it was breaking up a little bit there. Oh, so you're saying with the um, with the the turkeys, um, that's one of the products that you offer, sort of in a special time period. But I was wondering if you kept um, your other meat offerings available year round, and maybe we could talk a little bit more. You're saying you're slaughtering stuff each week, so how to um, how you keep up with that demand? Um, we try to get projections. Um, and forecast as best we can, but really, we're so far in advance. I mean, it takes 
from the time we get the actual chicken breeder to pull it in over, it's over a year before we have a bird ready to go to market. Yeah. Um, so we're we're planning well in advance. Uh, but every week we do have uh, fresh and frozen available on our Poulet Rouge, our Pintad, which is our guinea hen, and our pheasant, as well as grass-fed beef. And those are all available on the website. Um, we take pre-orders for our Heritage Black Turkey, usually beginning around September October. Those are harvested in November, and uh, we ship those fresh and frozen. Um, what, um, so what is, do you, I'm assuming you guys must eat a lot of the, the the food that you produce. And I'm, again, curious as to how the best chicken in the world transfers onto the plate. So what are, um, are there different ways that you like to prepare the food or the, the specific, the Poulet Rouge or any of the other breeds that you work with? For me, the, I think to all of us here, the best way to prepare uh, the meat that we produce is just the most simple recipe you have, which is, I like to do uh, sea salt and cracked pepper. Everyone today wants to put barbecue sauce and all of the, <laughs> all these flavorings uh, on their meat to give it flavor. And when you eat a true heritage bird that's been raised the, the right way and uh, processed correctly using air chilling and everything we've talked about today, you really don't want to put barbecue sauce or any other you know flavorings on it because that masks the the true meat flavor, which is unbelievable. A lot of people, a lot of Americans haven't ever, you know, had the opportunity to, taken the opportunity to, to try that themselves. And people always say, you know, the first time they try the Poulet Rouge, uh, they normally reference it to the bird their grandmother used to cook on Sunday afternoons, their great-grandmother. They used to be running around in the backyard, and they had it for supper. It's, it's amazing the difference in flavor and quality that, a heritage, our, our heritage chicken offers. Yeah. So masking that, uh, we we do not recommend doing much with the bird. It cooks. It might cook a little bit faster. The Poulet Rouge might cook a little bit faster than a than a commercial bird. But uh, the Stuart mentioned the skin is so thin on it that it crisps up really well, and there isn't that layer of fat underneath it. The the bird takes so long to grow and. Uh, it gives it time to, for the fat to marble under the meat, so it's it's a fantastic meal. And so so, don't don't mess it up much. Yeah, it sounds. Like yeah, that. it sounds like your recommendation is keep it simple. Um, so, like you said, people can find you um, in Whole Foods if they're located in your region of the country. But if they wanted to check out your website um, to find out more about the farm and to visit um, and see some of your offerings. It's www.joyce-farms.com. Um, Ryan and Stuart, we're just about out of time here, so it was great to have you on the line okay. today. Well, one more thing One more thing I'd like to mention. We just set up a uh, uh, coupon code for 15% off our radio. They use Heritage Radio, all one word, all lowercase. Yeah. Well, so, so folks, that's another reason for you guys to check it out. So the coupon code is Heritage Radio, all lowercase, you said? Yes, one word, all lowercase. Perfect. All right, well, thanks again for joining me on the line, Ryan and Stuart. Um, That's the end of another episode of The Farm Report, and thank you all for listening.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.